This episode of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is brought to you by UBCP ACTRA, a.k.a. the Union of British Columbia Performers. UBCP is an autonomous branch of the Alliance of Canadian Cinema, Television, and Radio Artists, the national organization of professional performers working in the English language recorded media in Canada. For more information about UBCP ACTRA, visit ubcpactra.ca. This episode was sponsored in part by listeners like you. Join our Patreon community and receive early access to episodes, bonus content, stickers, buttons, and more. Visit www.patreon.com slash podcast. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast, where we pull back the curtain and expose the beating heart of the Vancouver film and television industry, namely the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work, capital T, capital W. I'm Sabrina Rani Firminger, and today I am delighted to welcome Colin Mockery to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Colin Mockery is one of us, capital O, capital O, capital U, exclamation point. He might have been born in Scotland, worked extensively in the UK and south of the border, and performed throughout Canada, including in Toronto's second city. But Colin has spent a heck of a lot of time, a hell of a lot of time even, in beautiful, dreary Vancouver, British Columbia where he is a beloved alumnus of Vancouver Theater Sports. And listeners will remember that friends of the podcast, Ellie Harvey and Gary Jones are also alumni. Uh, alumni? Uh, alumnuses. Alumnuses! Let's go with that. Of Vancouver Theater Sports. This month, Colin will return to Theater Sports and the Improv Center for five sold-out performances of An Evening with Colin Mockery which are evenings of comedy and not anything else. Get your minds out of the gutter. Damn. Colin has had a very extensive career, which includes Whose Line Is It Anyway? on both sides of the Atlantic, and two years in This Hour Has 22 Minutes. It's actually kind of difficult to sum up Colin's career in a few pithy paragraphs. In five minutes on the YouTube, I found clips of Colin playing improv games with Robin Williams, delivering the weather, selling cookies while wearing a tutu, and hanging out with a couple of alpacas while pitching for World Vision Canada. Oh, and he led a tour through a sourdough factory with Rosie O'Donnell. Now, if that doesn't say Canadian improv comedy icon, what does? No, seriously, what does? I need to know if I ever encounter any other Canadian improv comedy icons. I've laughed with and admittedly at Colin a few, a lot over the years, but the comedy of it all isn't the only reason I harassed Colin's publicist. Hi, Teresa, for the opportunity to speak with Colin today. Colin is a dad to a luminous daughter who is transgender, and Colin has used his place as a Canadian improv comedy icon to advocate for his daughter and for all trans people. And as the parent of a genderqueer preteen during a really scary time on this planet where trans and non-binary people face physical and systemic violence... I am so grateful for Colin's advocacy and for the way he responds to his trolls. Representation saves lives. Colin's advocacy makes a difference. So today I want to talk about all of it. 
the funny and the not so funny and what Vancouver audiences can expect from Colin's upcoming show. Colin Mockery. Colin Andrew Mockery, Canadian improv comedy icon. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Why, thank you. I didn't realize I'd done so much. I just spent like five minutes reading a lot of words to sum you up. How how do you sum yourself up? I'm just a guy who um, really got lucky, like incredibly lucky that the only skill I had became marketable because of a show in Britain. Mm. Um, You know, that's kind of a roundabout way to sort of uh, make a career. So I've been... I've been a very fortunate in every aspect of my life. So I'm just a lucky guy who often cannot believe his luck. What a Canadian answer. You see that gratitude right there, being humble? That's why you're a Canadian improv comedy icon. Colin, how did we get here? Like, paint me a picture of who you were as a child. You know, what kind of kid were you? Were there any hints present in your childhood that you would end up with this life? No. I don't think so. I mean, I was I was very quiet. I was a, a definitely a bookworm. I would go to the library every week, um, take out like seven books, and I was a really fast reader, so I could get through those in the week. Then, uh, so that was it. I mean, I had friends, and we had, you know, we we had a tree fort, and there was a point where we had bows and arrows too. Um, and we play, yeah, I guess uh, very imaginative, but, you know, I, I, I was part of a small group and I, I always enjoyed kind of being by my, myself. I was, I was fine with that. So, um, yeah, I never thought, oh, one day I'm going to be uh, on stage or in, in front of the camera. I mean, I loved movies. I loved television. I felt when I was growing up, like I was watching television 24 hours a day, which I'm sure was not true. But um, yeah, I, 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 I love the entertainment industry. I never thought I'd be a part of it. What were you watching on TV? Oh, all the things from the last century, long before you were even a twinkle in your parents' eyes. Um, I, my mother was a, a movie buff. So, you know, there was always the afternoon movies mm-hmm. uh, reaching from, you know, uh, torrid uh, tearjerkers to um, uh, pirate movies and westerns. Uh, I was a big, you know, Dick Van Dyke, uh, The Andy Griffith Show, Carol Burnett. I was a big fan of, you know, uh, Bob Hope and Bing Crosby movies. Any kind of uh, All any those kind of road comedy. to movies. The yeah, the road, road movies yeah. were. <laughs> my biggest joy was introducing them to my my daughter when she was young, and she was like enthralled with them. She goes, why are they breaking the fourth wall? I said, yeah, you see, everything you think is new isn't. Yeah. Were you a funny kid? Were people like, oh, look at little Colin, so funny? I don't think so. I mean, I don't think I, uh, I may have been dry. I don't think I was uh, a wacky or, um, um, and I, w- I was very quiet. It was very, I was very shy. I was a very shy kid. So, um yeah, I don't think anyone actually even noticed me. Okay, so I'm still perplexed because my <laughs> the question was, how did we get here? So far, yeah. I'm I'm seeing like um a bookworm in a tree fort, not wanting to talk to people, uh, mm-hmm. watching the road movies, um, not thinking that he's funny. Yeah. How did we get to the improv stage then? 
Well, it was very simple. Um, so in I, I decided I was going to be a marine biologist. So when I was in uh, at school, I was heavily into sciences. And then a friend of mine dared me to try out for a school play. And the school play was an, the immortal classic, The Death and Life of Sneaky Fitch, a <laughs> musical comedy Western, which I don't think has ever been done except in high schools. Yeah. So I, I auditioned for it and I got the part. And then I, uh, in a moment, I will always remember so clearly, I got my first laugh. And that was at that moment, I thought, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. I want this all the time now. Um. So I got out of sciences, uh, got into drama. I started a, um, uh, I don't know. I, I I I don't know how I did this, but somehow I talked the vice principal into letting me do the announcements in the morning. So a couple of friends and I, I would write scripts, um, uh, incorporating whatever the events were. So uh, that was sort of my first attempt at sketch comedy. Some of them were pretty good. Some of them not so much. And then um, I just uh, from there went to theater school. And then at theater school, I saw a demonstration of theater sports. And uh, I thought, oh, this looks like it would be fun. Um, you don't have to really know anything. You just make up crap. And so I got involved with that. And um, and that was it. Basically, that was it. You know, wait. So what you've described is very similar to um, what Gary Jones describes. And actually, what other what other notable funny people have described that getting that first laugh it's almost like I'm not a I'm not a heroin addict but you know like yeah. you get your first hit of a drug and then it's like that's that's it yeah I often compare it to heroin and I've yeah. never done heroin either but I I just imagine it's that just that rush that and then you're just looking for it for the rest of your life yeah yeah I got to tell you though improv comedy scares the literal excrement out of me um yeah. what kind of personality do you do you need to really succeed as an improv comedian and like is fear is fear part of it or do I you think have so. to I have think the fear gene at all yeah it's using that fear or I don't know I, I I would think probably years of psychotherapy to figure out exactly all I know is that is the most comfortable I am on life being on stage in front of an audience who have paid money to see a show that doesn't exist at that particular point. Because mm -hmm. uh, I know I'm with people that I trust. I'm in a world I understand and where we make the rules and I know it's going to work out. All the things we don't have in real life. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, fear is a big thing that stops people from improvising. I'm doing a, uh, one of my tours is I'm I, I tour with a hypnotist. And he hypnotizes audience members, and then they and I uh, form an instant improv troupe and do an improv show. Yeah, that also scares me. Hypnotists scare me. You're basically living like on the edge, really. Yeah. <laughs> so what happens is, I mean, our lives are basically improvised. Mm. You know, we have sort of a structure, but within that structure, it's all improvised. And um, the rules of improv on stage should be the rules of improv in life. It's basically you listen, 
you accept your partner's ideas and work on them together to make something happen, make something good out of that. Mm-hmm. So when people are hypnotized, the part of the brain that says, you can't do this, you're going to make a fool of yourself, that's gone. And they become like pure improvisers. They just immediately react to everything you give them. Mm-hmm. Um, and somehow improvisers can do that without being hypnotized. Have you ever been hypnotized by your friend? Yeah. Well, he, um, yeah, he hypnotized me uh, to, you know, I was trying to think, oh, I don't have any vices. So what can he help me with? (laughs) And then I realized one of my things is I despise writing with a passion. Hmm. And I've had to write at various, I wrote a book, which was Mm -hmm. like one of the most horrendous experiences of my life. But I thought, I have like 15 first acts of things that could go somewhere. So I asked him, can you help me find some sort of discipline where I can? So he did. And then I um, I did. I finished something um, within the month. Wow. You know, it's, it's... I still hated every minute of it, but I did it. You did it. I find it interesting, though, because as a writer, that's where I'm the happiest. And that's where you're terrified. So See? I don't have the personality for an improv. I mean, we all have our skills. We it's all the things we know. Yeah, the things that we feel comfortable with. I want to hear about your first time on an improv stage. Like, what do you remember about it, and what mistakes did you make? I'm assuming, and first time we do anything that we haven't done before, there are some mistakes that are made. Uh, No, I I was perfect. Perfect. Wow. Here's what happened. Well. Um, so when I was doing theater sports at the first half, there would be a rookie match. Mm-hmm. And then the second half, there would be the more, um, experienced players. So, uh, we play a rookie match and, um, there are a couple of people I knew from theater school and then some other people I didn't know, but, um, so that went well and I got most valuable player when you got the most valuable player you want a bottle of wine or something back in the good old days and there was a person missing in the second half so they asked me to join their team so i played with the second half and i got mvp with with those people so i felt like okay i got it um and that was probably not the best thing that could happen to you (laughs) because yeah you start Uh, out and you're super high right at the beginning I know exactly. Okay. And of course, no, you know, it's always a 50, 50 chance at at best. You know, you can go in with best intentions, feeling the best. And for whatever reason, it just doesn't work that night. And then there's other nights you get gold from uh, dung and somehow you don't know some, you don't know exactly how you did it, but it was just one of those magical moments. What, what kind of, I mean, I hesitate to use this word any time. I mean, honestly, on the show, it's hard to use this word career because this mm-hmm. for a lot of people who come on the show for almost it's everybody. It's a calling. Um, but, you know, you still have to, like, you know, feed yourself and have a long term plan. But like what kind of career did you want when you first began and how is that different from what you want now? Yeah, well. I mean, when I first started, um, you know, I, I was going to theater school. So my thing was, I want to, you know, be a working actor. And um, that was as far as I'd, that was my plan. 
that was all I had. There was no blueprint of how to do that. And I went to Studio 58 in uh, uh, Vancouver, which was a great school. And I think still is a great school. Yeah, what was great about it was um, all the teachers were working actors. So you also got the business side of uh, show business and how to audition and things like that. And then when um, improv came into my life, that was just a thing to do on the weekends because you know when we started people didn't know really what improv was i mean we had to pull people in from the mcdonald's next door and they go what is what's your show about we go we don't know you have to yell things at us and then we'll do something and then it became this cult hit and even when that started that sort of led to some actual theater um work because uh, as I said, the theater sports was incredibly popular and, and a lot of people were being showcased. So uh, theaters were bringing us in to do various comedies and blah, blah, blah. But still, um, there was still no plan. It was just, I uh, I just wanted to work. Hmm. And then Expo happened and um, uh, Ryan Stiles, um, a good friend of mine, got into Second City for... Um, the second city show at expo and then because they liked him i guess they thought he was good or something whatever um they brought him uh, back to toronto and um i moved out to toronto the next year and he called me up and said hey they um they're looking for someone in the touring company and i told him about you so you know come in and audition and so then i was with second city uh for a while and then at second city this British show called Whose Line came through an audition, which I didn't get. But um, just all the, uh, yeah, there was, uh, there's no plan in my career. I just wanted to work and uh, to enjoy myself. And those things didn't always go together. Yeah. And what about, what about now? What do you want now? Uh. During the pandemic, which, let's face it, was a horrible time, I quite enjoyed it because I was home for the first time in 20 years. I was home for like two years straight. Mm -hmm. um, just before we got shut down, I was doing the two, two different tours and shooting a movie in, in Utah. So when um, I had to come home, it was so good for me because I realized, oh, my wife, Deb, and I, we still enjoy each other. Um, I enjoyed not having to get up at three to run to the airport and figure out where I was going. Mm -hmm. And I got to do things around the house. And um, it made me realize I needed more of a balance in my life. I needed more. Um, so my plan was to pull back. So that hasn't worked out as much as I thought it would. I mean, right now I, I'm booked up until January of next year, which I mean is great in many ways, but I, I'm I'm still trying to pull back or I, I would like to do more television and uh, uh, movie work. I, I, I've done uh, in the last couple of years, more and it's always been luckily i've had friends who have gotten into the position of hiring me and actually producing movies here is my dream you listen to me sabrina listening, if you can make this happen mm -hmm. 
I would be forever indebted, indebted to you. I want to be the star of an action movie. Here's why. Mm-hmm. You watch your usual action movies with Jason Stratham or any of those guys. You know how it's going to work out. You don't have that guarantee with me. There'd be a little more tension because you think, is he going to make it? Is his hip going to snap at any point? I think it'd be very interesting. I, I want that not just for you, but for all of us. Oh, absolutely. We need, we need I think it would change. That. It I, would open I, people's eyes. I have a lot of power. I'll, I'll yeah. see what I can do. Is there such a thing as Vancouver comedy? And if so, like, how is it different? Either like what's on stage or how the audience reacts to stuff. You know, how is it different from Toronto comedy or Moose Jaw comedy? Or like, what do you see? Or is funny and funny, funny? I think, um, I, I truly think it's, um, especially, well, I mean, I only have the improv uh, world to um, compare it to. And I've, I've found like all across Canada, it's pretty much the same. Um, like anywhere else, you know, there are improvisers who their strengths are doing characters and there are some who are more surrealist or or more physical. And I, I haven't found a specific, um, like maybe in Newfoundland, they have such a, a, a way of looking at things, uh, almost like an outsider way that I think the rest of Canada has in comparison to the States, although that is disappearing more and more than, you know, when I was growing up, there was always, there's America. And that's, that was a dream. And now I don't think that's true as much because I think we're more comfortable in our skin. We're prouder of um, more Canadian things than I think we've ever been, whereas television or film or, or people. So I, I don't really, I mean, it definitely is as a culture, it is more laid back in Vancouver. When I first moved to Toronto, I thought, uh, why is everyone moving so quickly? And where are they going? Just relax. It was like, come on. There's nowhere you have to go that quickly. If it's work, no, <laughs> nobody goes. That. I mean, improvisers go to work that quickly, maybe, but even at it's half of what you're doing. So that was for me, that was the longest, uh, it took me the a longest time to feel comfortable in Toronto. Um, and also, I, there's the, the beauty of the West Coast, and that there is a simplicity, I think, that's missing, uh, certainly in Toronto. What about your, um, so I recently went to Scotland for the first time. We did Glasgow and we did Edinburgh this past summer. And uh, I just, well, I mean, Half the people that half the tourists there were Canadian, which was like kind of blew my mind a lot. But I, I was so amazed and impressed with um, the warmth and the humor, and also kind of like the nosiness of Scottish people too. Like they wanted to tell us stories, they wanted to know what we were up to. You know, as far as like your, is there anything from your Scottish upbringing or upbringing? You know, in a Scottish family or blood memory wise, you know, that is the Scottish part of you that informs your comedy at all? Yeah, there's a darkness to um, Scotland. They have a very morbid sense of humor. And um, I I can laugh at some of just the darkest things. And I I, I do have that. It's not 
one of my major things, but it certainly is there. And it ha- it does come out when I'm improvising from time to time. Um, my favorite, I, I always love going to Scotland because one of my favorite things would just be going to the pub and just sitting and listening to people talk and just hearing these great stories. And there'd be the wildest stories. And then the next person would get, well, you think that's bad? And then go in this other horrible story where they had to chew testicles off a sheep or something in uh, Malta. <laughs> it was like... Okay, I I just love the storytelling, and there is a um, there's an acceptance of the bad side of life, and trying to find the humor in that, and trying to turn that around. Mm. And I guess that's how they deal with the dark times in their life is is laughing at it. So yeah, I definitely have a lot of that. Uh, have you performed in Scotland? Yeah, um was doing Edinburgh quite, I guess the last time we did was with uh, the hypnotist, the hip-hop show. But yeah, we did um, a couple of years of the British Who's Line uh, cast. So we, uh, yeah, I would, I would be in Edinburgh for the month. And I mean, it's such a beautiful city, although at night, at night, it reminds me of that scene in Gone with the Wind where it pulls back and it's just all the wounded soldiers. Because the weekends, just drunk people vomiting and lying on the streets. Um, yes, yes, indeed. And we were there for uh, we were there for Fringe. So it was it was a lot of that. And we did a haunted tour. The wonderful actors who led that tour, like they were so gleeful and joyful telling us about all yeah. the many horrible ways that people died there. So yeah, yeah, they love it. Oh, they love it. Yeah. <laughs> I, if you haven't been to Scotland, anyone out there, I highly recommend it. And uh, Edinburgh especially is quite beautiful. And they have all these great walking tours, like haunted Edinburgh. And as you say, a lot of dark darkness, but it, it really is beautiful. Um, I want to talk a bit more about comedy. Um, and it's so fun. I had, um, I saw photos of you with uh, one of our recent guests, Jennifer Robertson. We had a conversation about comedy, which like all the other conversations about comedy I have, were, which is not very funny, very serious. Mm. Um, and so I'd love to talk a little bit about, uh, ooh, I, I hate using this word because I consider myself to be woke, but now it's used as like a violent kind of, oh, you're woke. And I'm like, I would rather be awake than asleep. I know. Um, yeah. There are comedians, though, some very successful who say that you can't they can't be funny anymore because of, quote unquote, wokeness. How, how mm-hmm. do you respond to that assertion? Did wokeness kill comedy, Colin? Uh, I don't think so. It just means I it just means you have to work a little harder. It just means you can't go for the easy laughs. It's you know, it's really easy to make fun of people who are in less fortunate circumstances than you. Mm-hmm. you know, maybe a little harder to go for the people who deserve it, the hypocrites, the people who use their power in the wrong ways, for, for all the idiocies in our day-to-day life that you can make fun of. Um, why not do that rather than go for a section of people who are you know, constantly, you know, literally fighting for their lives here and there? Mm-hmm. And when I think of when I think of uh, people who I love from my early days, my early days, 
Well, when I watched them, they're, you know, they were from the 40s, the 50s. Mm-hmm. They had so many limitations. They could not swear. They couldn't do any sexual stuff. And yet they found a way to be funny yeah. and still found a way to comment on what they wanted to comment on and still get the laughs. So um, I, I think it's kind of lazy to say wokeness is um, destroying comedy. There is... There is a, um, it's it's weird. There, I find sometimes the audiences are looking for something that isn't there. There have been a couple of times when improvising where I've said something and you go, the audience goes, whoa. And you have to go, okay, what was it I said? And you go, okay, that was totally inoffensive. So how many different ways could it be taken? And you have to go through 10 levels and go, oh, okay, I guess that could have been something. Mm-hmm. That's irritating, I find, when the audience is making um, these weird choices. But I have to say, we um, I haven't noticed that in the world of improv. We've been able to uh, do whatever. And sometimes it gets edgy, but it doesn't get, uh, it never gets mean. Hmm. Your daughter, Kinley. I'm going to pop, for listeners, I'm going to pop a link to an interview that Colin and Kinley did with Wendy Mesley back in 2017, where Colin talks about supporting his daughter and using his voice for good. So Colin, you've gotten a lot of compliments. People shower you with compliments for the Mm. way, for the tone with which you handle trolls. How do you describe the tact you take with trolls, you know, who who are um, spewing uh, what can often be really dangerous and frightening rhetoric. Um, I try. Um, I try to be a good person. So there's you. You see the comment, and there's some you think, okay, this is just coming from a point of ignorance. Mm. Perhaps I can educate them. I would say that works. Maybe. tops. And then there's some you go, this person just wants to make a a horrible comment because they either think it's funny or uh, whatever. So let's just block. I I, I would rather try to get someone to educate themselves than me just to shut them down. Mm. Um, And um, sometimes it it works. Uh, Sometimes it, it doesn't. There are times where I'm looking through Twitter or whatever it's called, X now, and um, there were a couple of um, posts about people talking about I was raised in a homophobic environment. My parents were uh, incredibly homophobic, so I, I too was. And then I, st- I was at a job where I was working with with someone who was gay, and then and through that I learned, oh, this is a person, and. It, I find that all of this truly comes from from ignorance, just not knowing uh, about anything, not knowing about people, not knowing about all the, um, just putting yourself out there and learning a little. Sometimes I feel like we've, when we started to get into alternative facts, that's when I really started getting worried about, well, I think I was a little worried before that, but there's no, 
learning anymore. It's like you'll see something on, and Lord knows I've done it too, where you see something on the internet and you go, oh, okay, that is something I believe in, so it must be true. Mm-hmm. And you, you spread it without actually taking the time to go, you know, wait a minute, this is this is totally wrong. This is totally wrong. And um, with this this particular area, there's also a lot of, um, I also have a lot of guilt from my early days improvising where, um, and this was truly from a place of ignorance of just saying something and not realizing with that joke, I just um, pushed aside an, an entire segment of society. And I didn't think about it because it, it was just a joke. And it was um, when Kinley first came out and um, I asked her if I could, you know, uh, put it out there. And she said, yes, I got a uh, an email from uh, someone who runs a um, a queer improv uh, troupe in in London, England and said, congratulations and uh, thank you for supporting your daughter. Can I just ask you next time you're doing Who's Line to be totally aware of all the homophobic and transphobic stuff you do. And immediately I just was covered in sweat going, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And that is there on uh, on television. And um you can access that at any point as being homophobic. So that was sort of um it made me more aware. Um and I don't know if that's being woke, but um it just made me aware of, you know, words still hurt and words uh, are powerful. I think that is the very definition of woke and what happens, right? We mm. we wake up to stuff and you have to have grace with yourself as well to, to you know, to make mistakes and to learn. Even my 13-year-old, I'm so impressed with them. They have a lot of grace for me, you know, especially at the beginning of, uh, you know, when they were like, uh, mommy, this is what my pronouns are. And uh, when I would yell at them to get ready for school uh, between 848 and 852, if there's yelling in Kitsilano, it's me, Um, you know, and so the the wrong pronouns would come out. And, uh, but, you know, because I was like, I'm so sorry. uh, And, you know, I'm just learning to do it new. And, and my daughter, you know, just was like, it's, it's fine. Just do better. Keep doing better. Keep trying. So. Yeah. They are. The young are incredibly graceful that way. And it's hard. You're going to make mistakes. I mean, that's what we do as people. Anyway, we just constantly make mistakes. It would be be great. if We can learn from them and then build on them and uh, make less. Yeah. Well, what does it mean then? I mean, that, that kind of flows nicely into this question. What does it mean to be a good ally to to trans people and to gender queer people, or to even to parents whose you know whose children come out to them. Yeah, it's being. Um, I mean, we were fortunate. I, I mean, the three of us have been incredibly close throughout um, uh, the entire time we've we've had this unit. So when you know Kinley came out to us immediately. She had websites and uh, material for us to read, and and she was there to answer any questions. So the first thing was educating ourselves uh, about this. And then it's being um, aware Mm. and shutting down any sort of 
uh, transphobic or homophobic uh, stuff that's happening near you and try to make people aware, you know, that's, that's not a good thing. That's, uh, I mean, it just seems easy in a way of, you know, treat someone how you want to be treated. Do you want to be respected? If I, if you're a man and I'm constantly referring to you as she, you would be upset because that's not your pronoun. So put yourself in the other person's um, shoes. And of course, you're not going to understand what they're going through or why they're going through this. But the first step is I'm going to support them no matter what. Yeah. Um, you don't have to understand totally everything. It's just being a human being and being there for your fellow person, helping someone who's in need, someone helping someone who's in pain, uh, helping someone celebrate something. It's it's fairly simple. It's the simplest thing. And then you have a wonderful person in your life. You know, people yeah. miss out when they're complete assholes. We're getting to the end of our time together today. Oh, what happened? Uh, you know something? I... Oh. Uh, we have an evening with you, an evening with Colin Mockery uh, coming up next week. If I was lucky enough to score a ticket to this, what, what can I expect? I have no idea. Um, it will be improvised. Uh, there will be games of some sort. Um, they just, I always, they always say, what do you, well, what do you want to do? And I say, you know what, whatever. I'm just open to anything. And I prefer to be surprised because then um, that's when I have the most fun, when I really don't know what's going on in my life or on stage. I find that very exciting. And last You'll one. have some laughs. Okay. Although if you see, you see somebody front row, arms crossed, trying hard not uh -huh. to laugh, that'll be, that will be okay. me. No, and that'll bring back memories. Sure. <laughs> My last question, um, I want to honor the the little Colin that we spoke about at the beginning, you know, who is in the tree fort with the books and the bow and arrow, the little loner. What, what do you think that Colin would think of the life that you have built for yourself? I think he would be um, very happy because it, it it's, I mean... It really has worked out beautifully. As I said, my one skill translating into a job, um, I'm married to a beautiful, wonderful woman, have a great daughter. Uh, I, I have the best of the best in all my worlds. So um, I would tell him, though, just, um, you know, go for it. Uh, Whatever troubles I've had in my life, they've all been because of me, because I didn't put myself out there or because I didn't stand up for myself or didn't go for it but, and have doubts in myself. Mm -hmm. And whenever that went, and Lord knows, we're human. We're always going to have doubts in uh, some areas. But I found like just jumping in like a fool sometimes uh, works out beautifully for you. That is wonderful advice. Colin Mockery, Colin Andrew Mockery, it's been an absolute pleasure. Where can our fans find you, follow you, celebrate you on social media, not in okay. real life? Don't be creepy, damn. No, let me see. 
Uh, on X, I'm at Colin Mockery. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. On TikTok, I'm there. I can't remember my... Same with Instagram. I think I'm Colin Mockery 7591. Mm-hmm. I'll be there somewhere. Okay. And uh, I'll, I'll put, I'll ask the publicist to put links to all of this in the footnotes. I don't even know why I asked. Yeah, I have so many, <laughs> so many uh, usernames and passwords. It's just crazy. It absolutely is. It really is. I don't remember them. And honestly, when my phone freezes up, I, I do ask my daughter to come and fix it for me. Uh, I'm just constantly changing my passwords. So yeah. every, like every time. <laughs> So I'll never get hacked. Don't put that out there as if it's a challenge. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> All right. An evening with Colin Mockery takes place from March 6th to the 8th at the Improv Center on Granville Island. More information at theimprovcenter.ca. Thank you, listeners. Like, subscribe, leave us a review if you are so inclined to help us find even more listeners and we can keep having more conversations like the extremely rad one we had today with Colin Mockery. You can find us at yvrscreenscene.com. Follow us on Twitter. And I still call it Twitter. Yeah. You know, I respect, if people want me to call them any different name, I respect that, except in Elon's case. <laughs> it is still Twitter. And then he has like a thing called Grok, not doing it. So Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at YVR Screen Scene and at Sabrina Earth. The YVR Screen Scene podcast is hosted and executive produced by me, Sabrina Rani Mera Ferminger, and it's edited by Simon Ferminger. Oh, here come more Ferminger. Special thanks to Mariana Ferminger for creating our Patreon ad and to Paul Ferminger for technical support. YVR Screen Scene is a division of Ferminger. Nope. Fish Flight. Fish Flight Entertainment. Join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic film and television scene. And cut. Hey, filmmakers. Did you know that you can hire top quality, experienced, and professional actors for your films? If you're producing a student film for course credits, working on a web series, a short, or a feature film, you can afford to have some of the best talent in the business in your production. How, you ask? Well, UBCP Actor has an ultra-low budget program, which offers a range of options that cover everything from student films to productions with a $300,000 budget. There is a ULB program that will meet your needs, regardless of your budget. To learn more, visit ubcpactor.ca and look for ultra-low budget programs or email ulbprogram at ubcpactra.ca. Now is the time to jumpstart your dream for the screen.